Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Craig Fritz. Craig, what's going on? Just keeping up with the Christmas theme, man. We are uh, the, the decorations continue to expound throughout the house. Um, it's it's a fun time. We're, we're just enjoying ourselves until we, you know, take our Thanksgiving break with the family. So that's what's happening. So uh, re- real quick, best Christmas song and worst Christmas oh song. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um I'm going to be contrarian here. The worst Christmas song, I think, is It's Cold Outside. And Yeah, that's fair. Um, it just is, like, beaten into the ground. It has these disgusting, <laughs> these really creepy. It's the, cre- it's the it's creepiest so song creepy. in the world. It's so creepy. <laughs> um, I'm, 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 I'm kind of partial to the Katy Perry Amazon Christmas song, which is really? weird. Hmm. But like old school, like I'm a Silent Night guy. My mom was really okay. big into church growing up, and so we'd sing that, you know, at the midnight mass or whatever. Um, and it was a special moment for for me and my mom. So, you know, that's that's the old school. Uh, can't go wrong. Yeah, it's class. It's a class. No one has ever like been upset that they've no no one who celebrates Christmas has ever been upset that they've heard Silent Night. It is a very good song. Now, the, the correct answer to this is My Only Wish This Year by Britney Spears is the Ooh, best Christmas song. And good. the worst Christmas song is whichever, like, it goes back and forth uh, by the day with me between uh, between Wonderful Christmas Time and Do They Know It's Christmas, which is <laughs> just a wretched, it's awful. It's wretched really awful. song. Do I, they even we, know? They're so poor, the, do they even know? Listen, man, feed the world. Let feed them know. The we, we, we need to stop asking celebrities their opinions on things. Neither here nor there. Let's talk about Penn State football because that's why yes. everyone is listening to this podcast, the Penn State Nittany Lions, this past week, a 55-10 to 10 beatdown of the Rutgers Scarlet Knights in uh, lovely, lovely Piscataway, New Jersey. The Nittany Lions moved to 9-2 and two on the season with the win they uh, remained at number 11 in the most recent edition of the AP poll that will uh, we'll, we'll see what happens at the college football playoff poll as that comes out next week. Uh, it, it, it was a dominant performance in every way, shape and form by Penn state outgained Rutgers 436 to 167, 21 first downs to their nine Rutgers had 32 yards of total offense, three turnovers, one of two of which were returned for touchdowns, a third of which was nearly returned for a touchdown, if not for the fact that it got wiped out due to a penalty. I mean, Craig, there, there was a special teams touchdown. This is like, this was a performance where it seemed to me like Rutgers came into this game treating it like it was the Super Bowl. It was senior night. It was the final chance to see uh you know, some of their older players on that roster. And I thought they played up to that for a quarter. And then Penn State just put its foot on the gas and said, we're done here. Yeah. Like you had some consternation. And I talked with Nick about this in the, in the game, in the, the preview pod. And I said, there was going to be stuff for the Penn State fans that were looking to complain about something. There would be something to complain about. And if you talk about the first quarter, the first half of the second quarter, and now keep in mind, this game started a little bit late because the OT um, Indiana-Michigan State game on BTN, little late of a kickoff, but then the drives were so quick. So like three and out, three and out, three and out. This 
it was an hour and something till the first quarter was even over. And just Penn State looked like it was in for a slog. It looked like it was going to be a dogfight. Rutgers has 10 points. Penn State's only points in the first course at this point were the return by Nick Singleton, which was absolutely ridiculous. But you get to this point, and you're like, here we go again, here we go again, here we go again, without being able to move the ball, like people, whatever you want to say. And then the defense was just ridiculous. Rutgers couldn't do anything. Like, they could not do anything. After Winsett threw the touchdown pass, I want to say, like, they had – maybe 50 yards the rest of the entire game. Yeah. Like I don't have any exact numbers in front of me, but it was something like that. It felt like, you know, like I said a second ago, it felt like Rutgers came into this game playing with their hair on fire, playing with the belief, playing with the inspiration, whatever you want to say that we've seen football teams play with on their senior days over the years. And it's weird, Craig, because despite the fact, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, despite the fact that it was 14 to 10 after one, despite the fact that Penn State's defense, uh, defense and special teams had to, you know, do the scoring early on in the game while the offense kind of found its footing, I never really felt all, I, I never really felt like Rutgers was able to lay a glove on Penn State. What do you think? You know, I have. I have this dread that enters my system when if if PSU goes the first, you know, three drives and doesn't really do anything. And I'm like, oh man, Rutgers is moving the ball. Hmm. And we've gone three and out. They can't really run, can't really pass. They're pressuring the quarterback. They're making nice plays on defense. And it's just this patience that needs to come with a game where you know the Nittany Lions, one, are banged up, especially on the O-line, and two, it's Rutgers. So how how does James Franklin get his team up for a game that you probably think you're just going to roll it out there and win, right? Mm -hmm. And it took a little while to get going, but after it got going, good Lord. I mean, it was like, I was watching with my kids and we were hooting and hollering, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the fumble return for a touchdown, the interception that should have been returned for a touchdown, the next fumble return for a touchdown. And then the offense finally decided to chip in and it was just, you know, easy sledding from there on out. And then I do want to point out a couple things. During the broadcast, they talked about what, since Rutgers has joined the Big Ten in 2014, they have never scored more than 10 points against Penn State. They had 10 points in the first quarter of yeah. this game and did not score another point for the rest of the game. Nick and I talked on the pod on Thursday that the largest margin of victory in the Penn State Rutgers series was 39 points, which seems, I mean, that's pretty dominating, but it seems maybe a little low. That was shattered to 45 points in this game and now holds the record for the largest margin of victory of Penn State over Rutgers. And, you know, the consternation that came in in the first quarter was completely erased and the rest of the game was just like floodgates. 
it, it, it's weird. I, like, I wish I had the foresight to look this up, Craig, but Rutgers was up in this game three to nothing. And I would love to know how many times since 2014 Rutgers has been up on Penn State. I remember they were in the first game. The very first game. Played. The, the Hackenberg the ver- game. Yeah, Hackenberg needed to lead them to down Gino the field on a Lewis. final drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, like, Rutgers was was ahead of Penn State in that game. And I wouldn't be stunned if like one or two other times over the course of this, you know, for lack of a better word, rivalry, it's been this kind of situation where Rutgers is up three, nothing, seven, three, whatever. But when Penn State has decided in recent years to, again, for lack of a better word, stop playing with his food. It has done a really good job against Rutgers at just stomping them out. And they did that again today. And the thing that felt so incredible watching it was it didn't seem like Penn State was going out there and like, you know, they scored 55 points. It looked easy. For them, it looked easy for them to score 55 points to repeatedly get into the Rutgers back. Penn State had 15 tackles for loss in this game, which is one fewer than the Big Ten record. Uh, Curtis Jacobs, Abdul Carter, Jonathan Sutherland, Nick Tarbert, and uh, KJ Winston, Dom DeLuca, Marquise Wilson, Tyler Elsden, Amin Vanover, Hakeem Beeman, Keaton Ellis all got a tackle for loss. Like it should not be that easy for that many guys to get into an opposing team's backfield. If you look, the number of guys who just recorded tackles because of how easily Penn State was able to rotate was crazy. They were able to get guys like Khalil Dinkins and Liam Clifford and Amari Evans extended run on offense. Everything felt easy for them, Craig. And that's been a theme over the last couple of weeks And before we dive into talking about this game specifically, you look, lost to Michigan 41-17. They come back, they kick the hell out of Minnesota. Lost to Ohio State 44-31. That Ohio State loss put them at 6-2. It was the kind of loss that we have seen. I don't even want to talk about Penn State here. It's the kind of loss that we have seen derail entire college football seasons we have seen whether it's Penn State or other teams we have seen teams lose their two for lack of a better word measuring stick games in emphatic fashion and I know the Ohio State game was close for much of it that that ended up being an emphatic way that Ohio State put that game away to knock them to six or two it would have been very very easy for this Penn State team after that Ohio State loss to say, all right, we're just going to kind of go through the motions or we're going to play a bunch of children uh, all the time. You know, we're going to put in Drew Allers, our starting quarterback. We're not going to play Parker Washington as much. We're not going to play Mitchell Tinsley as much. We're going to try and get Liam Clifford a little more run. Maybe a little less Brenton Strange, maybe a little more Tyler Warren or Khalil Dinkins. Maybe a little less of this, maybe a little more of that, whatever. Instead, what they have done, 45-14 over Indiana. Indiana did not have a chance in that football game at any point. 30 to nothing Maryland. Maryland did not have a chance in that football game at any point. 
55 to 10 Rutgers. Rutgers didn't have a chance at any point. And if you want to go all the way back to Minnesota, 45, 17 and Minnesota, you know, they had a good first half, didn't really have much of a chance in the second half. So I guess my question is when we look at where this Penn state team is now, particularly after they went one and two in that stretch of Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio state, why are they just mauling opposing football teams to the extent that they are right now in such a way that they are now, according to SP plus the sixth best team in college football. You know, as, as hard as it was to watch the Michigan game and the Ohio state game, I, you know, I put, I feel like the coaches had a great game plan, Michigan state game or the Michigan game. They did not in my opinion, but to give credit to James Franklin and Manny Diaz and Mike Yurcich, they have continued to be creative in play calling, creative in their personnel packages, and they've been able to keep this team on the very edge where they need to be um, to be competitive and then dominating. Um, it's not just that they're getting a lot of guys playing time in hopes that next year it pays dividends. They are absolutely destroying these teams, and granted, Indiana is terrible. Rutgers is really bad. Um, but to say that Rutgers has been really bad in the past, and I wouldn't say that Maryland is a terrible team. They just took Ohio State to the wire 33-30 with how much time left? Ohio State kicks a field goal in the ensuing possession, basically a pick six or a fumble uh, for six that puts Ohio State up 43-30. Um, that's not a bad team based on the points they've been able to put up, the other people they've been able to stop. It's a testament to the staff that they've been able to keep everyone from the, 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 the most experienced players down to the least experienced players and the talent that they have up and down the roster engaged in this series to say, listen, we have a chance to be 10 and two, a special season, a building block season. And it's been fun to watch because they're rolling out new offensive sets. They're doing things that you haven't seen every single game. You say, Oh, that's new. Or, and then you're seeing the maturation, like how freaking fun was it to watch Abdul Carter against Rutgers and Maryland just really coming into his own and you say holy cow this kid could be absolutely elite his speed is ridiculous his anticipation is ridiculous and they're putting him in positions uh to succeed and so you know they've just done a good job of not allowing the kids to drop off and be in this like woe is me we lost to ohio state and michigan the season doesn't mean anything and saying it actually does and, you know, it's, it's, some of these kids are just absolutely so much fun to watch. It, it's, it's a testament to the leadership on this team, whether that is the players, uh, Jire Brown, oh. PJ Washington, Jonathan Sutherland, Sean Clifford, uh, you know, a guy like Juice Scruggs, a guy like uh, Parker Washington, whatever. It seems like the players were hell bent on making sure the problems that have happened in past years where Penn state loses and then loses again, and then keeps losing wasn't happening. It seemed like they were holding up 
the highest possible standard that they could have. And, you know, a, a thing that football fans hate hearing, and, you know, I hate saying sometimes, I hate hearing sometimes, I hate thinking about sometimes, some days you just don't have it. Yep. And some days you just don't have it in such a way that you get your ass kicked. Or some days the other team just has that little extra something. And, you know, it's what's the old paternoism? You're never as uh, good as you think when you win. You're never as bad as you feel when you lose. Yep. It seems like that second half this team has really taken to heart. The second half of that phrase this team has really taken to heart. And I like a tremendous source of pride in making sure that when you're eliminated from winning the Big Ten East, you're eliminated from the playoff talk, blah, 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 blah. You are not letting those be the sorts of things that derail your entire team. So credit to the players for that. Obviously, a big part of it is that Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers, you know, they're just not on Penn State's level in terms of the amount of talent right. that they have. Uh you know, tell me a tag of my low for how good he was against, was against Ohio State. You knock that kid out of his rhythm right away, and he has absolutely nothing for you. And Maryland's the best team of that group in 40th in SP plus overall. Indiana is at 87, Rutgers is at 96. So there's that part of it. And then I would also argue that this is the best head coaching job that James Franklin has done during his time at Penn State. You look at basically every turn in this season. The first three weeks of the year, you know, Purdue is uh, maybe not as, maybe they're not as good as they might've thought coming in. Still, they're a tricky team. You're going to play them in a tricky environment, all that. They end up surviving and advancing. Auburn, uh, you know, that's an entirely different can of worms. Auburn's 54th in SP plus, Purdue is 55th. But they walk into Auburn, they walk into a hostile environment against a, SEC West football team with SEC West talent, even if they had really just tragic vibes and they whooped the hell out of them. They lose that Michigan game. They could have easily put their tail between their legs and gone home and just given up on this season. They come out and they whoop Minnesota. That Ohio State game, they were in that game until the avalanche came. They, again, tail between their legs and go home. They've decided against that. And I think it's a testament to James Franklin. There was a video that came out after the game, Craig, um, where this was Franklin's 100th win as a head mm -hmm. coach. It was it's something like 76 at Penn State, 24 at Vanderbilt, some, something like that. I might not have the numbers. No, ten, okay. Have the numbers 110% correct. That's very nice. Uh, but you watch that, and Franklin addresses his team. He does what he always does, the start with I love you, end with I love you thing. He says start with I love you. The entire team screams I love you back. Pat Kraft then comes up, wraps his arm around him, shoves the game ball into his gut, and Franklin has this huge smile on his face. And I think he has this understanding that this is a team that it could have gone the way that past the past couple of Penn State teams have gone. It could have gone like the 2021 team where you lose to Iowa, the entire season goes off the rails. 2020 season you start with tough games and it just completely derails your entire season as a result. 2019, you lose that game to Minnesota, you lose to Ohio State, and there's just this malaise. 2018, 2017, 2016, we don't need... 2018, 2017, we don't need to relitigate those. So I think it's a real testament to James Franklin that this Penn State team has been as good as it has been. It has done what good teams 
need to do, which is you get games against overmatched opponents and you whoop up on them. And Penn State has more than whooped up on the four teams that they have beaten in the last month or so. And now we're sitting here talking about Penn State as a potential New Year's Six team, and the thing that I really did not expect. And, you know, I'll give you the final word here uh, before we uh, pay some bills and then talk about the Rutgers game. But it just feels like we are seeing a Penn State team and a Penn State program that is, you know, it's learned from past mistakes. It's learned from the stuff that has happened in the past. And there is so much pride in that locker room to make sure those errors from the past don't happen again. And as a result, you know, things could not be going much better for them right now. Yeah, and I think that, you know, again, the quality of opponent has a little bit to do with it, but it is a testament to the buy-in that the family atmosphere that Franklin has been selling. And obviously this team is all on board with that um, because you just see the camaraderie, you see everybody involved and engaged on every single play, no matter who's making it They're, you know, they could not be happier for their teammates. Um, and I'm excited for them to close it out. You know, I, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves talking about Michigan State for um, this week and coming up, but it's going to be a really uh, emotional, bittersweet, and interesting senior day to see who comes out of that tunnel, you know, who's decided that this is it. They're, they're no longer, you know, going to play for Penn State or the guys that have a little bit of extra eligibility, COVID year or whatever, who's going to come back. And uh, the the room that James Franklin has built this year is perhaps the most cohesive that I have seen since the Barkley, McSorley, uh, Gasicki 2017 team that just seemed like they were living and dying for each other at every single play. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair, and we'll talk about Penn State's win over Rutgers in a second. But first, like I said, we got some bills to pay, and we do that by talking about our sponsor, Home Field Apparel, if you're a college sports fan on the internet, or an Indianapolis Colts fan, because I think they also have uh, some Colts here. They have this Colts bomber jacket that, like, I don't like the Colts, but I would purchase that in heartbeat. It's gorgeous. Uh, but yeah, if you're, it really is. It is gorgeous. Like, if they released a Penn State bomber jacket, I would not be getting Christmas gifts for people because I would be buying one of those for myself. But neither here nor there, if you're a college sports fan or an Indianapolis Colts fan, on the internet, you have probably seen Home Field Apparel. If you've been listening to this podcast this season, you have certainly heard about Home Field Apparel. But on the off chance that they are new to you, Home Field is a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. They watch as their beloved Hoosiers uh, took down the Michigan State Spartans. And let me tell you this, brother. It was a weird football game. Weird. Like, I, I think I think Michigan State outgained them two to one, and Indiana still won, which is very weird. But they completed two passes that. and scored thirty nine points. That's right. And we all watched Indiana a few weeks ago. We know just how um, not up to par that program is. But neither here nor there. Uh, you know. You've known what we say about home field in this part. Their shirts are comfortable. They're unique. Their designs are cool. They take the time to make you feel some sort of special connection to either your school or another school you'd like to learn a little something about. Like I've mentioned, I have home field gear, uh, some Penn State home field gear. I actually have uh, my 
Hockey Valley t-shirt right here to support Penn State's hockey program that uh, just decides to beat the number one team in the country every week. It's very cool. I have a wrestling shirt. I have a uh, pair of joggers from St. Peter's. I have a Hawaii t-shirt. There is so much cool stuff with home in Homefield's collection. And of course, that includes the 15 pieces of merchandise they have for Penn State. And we got something a little bit different for you uh, here, folks. Instead of giving you the, pop, the promo code that we have, their Black Friday sale is going on right now. It runs from the 18th to the 27th. It is their biggest sale of the year and you dear listener it's usually you can get 15 percent off with your first order no 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 you can get 20 percent off no matter what if you have ordered with home field apparel in the past or not using the promo code black friday all uppercase one word get yourself something get something for your friends who like sports even if they don't like sports, even if you just have a friend who is an academic, get them something. It's cool. It'd be a nice gift. We're all looking for gifts for the holidays. I have no idea what I'm getting 90% of the people in my life. Maybe I'll get them something from Home Field Apparel. Again, the promo code 20% off the entire store with the promo code Black Friday, one word, all uppercase. Thank you very much to Home Field Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. Let's get back to talking about Penn State's game against Rutgers. Again, the Nittany Lions won 55 to 10. And Craig, we'll start on the offensive side of the football where weird game, bit of a somewhat of a sluggish game, I would say. Mm-hmm. I'm, the defense yeah. basically shouldered such a big load that the offense was never really able. Like the offense just never really got into uh, the sort of groove that you would probably want it to get into. But despite saying that, The offense still gained 436 yards of total offense. The offense still scored 34 points. I don't got too terribly much to complain about. Yeah, I agree. And if you're looking for positives um, offensively, my big takeaways were, holy cow, Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton are ridiculous, right? That's one way of putting it. They combined for 182 yards rushing on just 20 carries, which is a 9.1 yards per carry average and just watching they're them, ch- Craig Craig ahead. they're children they're <laughs> they are. 18 19 years old they and they have not. taken they they have just taken to the sport like a moth to a flame it's ridiculous it's insane to watch and it's a it's joyful like when you talk about like watching a uh you know a counterplay and you think oh three yard run and and Katron Allen does this thing where he does a jab step and now it's a seven to 16 yard run. And Nicholas Singleton has, you know, earlier in the season, he was trying to balance everything outside when he faced a little bit of friction in the hole and he has become more patient. And this is a credit to Juwan Sider and the whole running back room. Um, I am sure uh, Kevon Lee has had imp- uh, influence on these kids to, you know, this is my experience. Here's what you need to do. But just to see the patience that Singleton has developed and the the fruit that that is bearing for him as a runner, uh, it it's awesome to watch after, you know, basically since 2019. So you're talking 2020, 2021, the running game was abysmal since Journey Brown was shelved, um, unfortunately, due to his heart condition. And it's just it's just awesome to watch, especially with how young these guys are. Yeah, I mean, it's they didn't need Sean Clifford to do a ton on the day. In the Sean Clifford or Drew Auer for when uh 
when Drew Aller came into the game. Clifford, 17 for 26, 65.4% of his passes, 157 yards, six touch, six yards per attempt, and a touchdown. Nothing really crazy there, but Penn State was able, through the push that it got on the offensive line, and with the way that it's running backs and Sean Clifford played, it's worth mentioning Clifford as well, uh, Allen, like you mentioned, 11 carries, 117 yards, 10.6 yards per carry. He had that big 59-yard run where he just maneuvered his way through some space and took off down the side. I didn't quite have that extra gear to blow by, guys. But he capped that drive off by basically dragging five dudes into the end zone. So who am I to complain? Nicholas Singleton again, like just continues to look like a game-changer with his speed, with his ability with his burst, with all this sort of thing, nine carries, 62 yards, 6.9 yards per carry. And then Clifford, you know, they used him a little bit as a runner in this game. Yep. He had that 14-yard touchdown carry. Did, did he do the Richard Nixon? Was that what he did after he scored? I wasn't sure if he was doing the full Nixon. I I, I kind of turned away. I was like high-fiving my five-year-old, so I, I missed the yeah. full celebration. But whatever he did, like it was, <laughs> it was obvious to me in this game Penn State thought it could just run all over yeah. Rutgers. And 37 carries, 237 yards, 6.4 yards uh, per attempt. That's That sounds like it. They didn't – it, it's weird because, you know, obviously there's always going to be the Clifford or Drew Hour debate, but I felt like – and Craig, correct me if I'm wrong. I felt like they used both of them in pretty similar ways where uh, other than the fact that by the time they got into the end zone, they decided to – I mean, they got – towards the end zone on Aller's one drive uh, where he was able to punch it in and they just kept trying to punch it in with him. Right. It never felt like Penn State was trying to go air raid or anything oh, against Rutgers. It seems like it was just like, we're going to go in there, we're going to put a professional effort forth on the ground and that's going to take care of business for us. Yeah, it's kind of like, this is what we do. This is what we know we're going to beat you at. And the impressive part to me is that they still have, they're significantly injured on the offensive line. Yes. And they were still able to pave the way for, like you said, 230 yards, 237 yards of rushing offense and three rushing touchdowns, 6.4 yards per carry with Olufushanu on the shelf, um, Tangwall on the shelf, Wallace on the shelf. And it's just very impressive, you know, considering mm-hmm. that early on Rutgers front four looked the full part of a very accomplished Greg Schiano front four. They were, ter- I wouldn't say terrorizing, but they were very good early in the game with pressures. And they're no, they, we knew this going in that they were not a slouch. And Penn State just ground them into dust as the game drew on. And it took a little while to get going, but holy cow, it was impressive to watch that they just were not going to give you know stop doing what they knew was going to work it just took a little while to get the the fits in and once they did it was punch in the mouth punch in the mouth punch in the mouth Allen goes for you know 59 yards and yeah he couldn't score but he's never been the guy that is super fast but his vision is superior to basically any back that you've seen all season um and it like I said, it was just really fun to watch the O-line mature, to watch these backs find the holes and be patient, um, or a truly complete effort. Yeah, Rutgers came, is after this game 43rd 
in defensive SP plus. You know, Michigan so dropped them. They were thirty-eight before the mm. game. So you dropped yeah, I mean, five points. Michigan, Michigan won that game fifty-two seventeen, but Michigan four hundred and thirty-three total yards, five point six yards per attempt uh, through the air, five point three yards per rush on the ground. Last week they played Michigan State four hundred and fifty-three total yards. Michigan State five point six yards per rush. I, I it was a they they're an okay defense. They're a solid. I think they have some good players on that defense. I mean, there was one moment early in the game. The one time I felt any fear in this football game was when Aaron Lewis early on in the game just absolutely cooked Drew Shelton and was right. able to sack Sean Clifford. But five ta- five tackles for loss, two sacks on the day for Rutgers defense, and it did seem like they were willing to be aggressive. They wanted to be aggressive and they wanted to try and make Penn State's patchwork offensive line uncomfortable. They wanted to speed up Sean Clifford. They wanted to confuse Penn State's talented running backs. And it looked like it wasn't a bad bet early on in the game, but ultimately they just, you know, they weren't able to uh, sustain that for four quarters. And as a result, Penn State put up some numbers. Craig, I'm going to read some numbers on Penn State's offense real quick. Coming after this week, Penn State is third in the Big Ten in passing offense, third in the Big Ten in total offense, fourth in the Big Ten in rushing offense, third in the Big Ten in total offense, and 21st nationally in offensive SP+, which I believe is second in SP+, on the offensive side of the football among Big Ten teams. The list of offenses in college football with 400-plus total yards a game, 250-plus passing yards a game, and 180-plus rushing yards per game. Tennessee, USC, Oregon, UCLA, Georgia, Ohio State, TCU, North Texas, UTSA, Florida State, Alabama, James Madison, App State, and Penn State. It is a thing that I cannot believe we are saying – And I would not have believed we would say this at the beginning of the season and maybe even halfway through the season. But there is some stuff here that makes it seem like Penn State is not an elite offense, but might be in that very next tier of offenses in college football. And I would say with the way that they run it, with the way that they – with the way that they throw it in such a way that they just make good de- – they generally make good decisions. They're not shooting themselves in the foot, whatever. It feels like we are watching a Penn State offense, and the, the idea for a Penn State offense that James Franklin has wanted from basically his start in Happy Valley, where they are balanced and they are able to beat you in a multitude of ways, and it is paying off based on basically what every number says. Yeah, I think that there's a perception skew here because of how bad the Michigan game was. And it's kind of like thrown everything off the rails. Whereas if you look at that as an outlier of poor performance and then compare it to every other game that has happened, especially in the last six, that Penn State's offense has been extremely well-balanced and extremely productive. Even against Ohio State, that score was obviously ended up being this avalanche of points at the very end of the game for the Buckeyes. But Penn State had a five-point lead going into the fourth quarter and was moving the ball, had more, even after everything happened, ended that game with 
more yards passing, more yards rushing, more total yards, more yards per play than the Buckeyes did. And so as frustrating as fans may have felt about some of these intermittent spots, they're really playing complimentary football, which is like James Franklin's Eureka thing. Like that's, that's what he wants to do. You know, perhaps, perhaps they lost the Michigan State game in the snow last year because James Franklin decided they needed to run the ball more than throw on the worst secondary in America. But, you know, now they are truly playing complimentary football. Mike Yersich is adjusting to whatever is being thrown at them defensively, and they're able to find running plays that work, passing plays that work. And as we said, it's it's really been fun to watch. What has been even more fun to watch has been Penn State's defense because Penn State's defense has just decided it's going to kill teams uh, going forward. Uh, Rutgers, again, scored 10 points. Their one touchdown drive came after uh, a long kickoff return by uh, ace return man Aaron Crookshank. Nine first downs, four for 19 on third down, 167 total yards, 135 passing yards, 32 rushing yards. They had less than one yard per rush. They turned it over three times. And again, two of those turnovers were returned for touchdowns. The third turnover would have been a touchdown if not for, I believe, Hakeem Beeman committed a, an unnecessary illegal blindside block. But Craig, at the, we must say that a part, big part of this is that Rutgers is just not good on offense. Gavin Wimsat, you know, you could see the talent that he has. It's not enough. Like, he has a ways to go. Their running game can't really do much of anything. Their receivers have stone hands. But having said all of that, part of the reason all this stuff happened was because Penn State's defense just laid the lumber all game. And really one of their most impressive performances of the year. Yeah, it seemed like early on that maybe Rutgers has figured out a way to block up Manny Diaz blitz blitz schemes, and they were going to hit a lot of these crossing routes and these under underneath plays. And you know, to be clear, that's kind of what led to their first, their only touchdown. Um, but then they they the offensive line just could not handle the athleticism of the Penn State front specifically. And I want to continue to call him out because it was r- a ridiculous performance that Abdul Carter should have had. I mean, we said how many tackles for loss did they have? 15, did you say? They should have had easily 16 because he was egregiously held on a play where he was right in Gavin Seth's lap and there was no call. And his speed to the, the ball when he decides to break on a ball carrier or the quarterback or... Uh, you know, in the flat covering a receiver is just, it's, I'm going to say it. He wears the number. It is Micah Parsons-esque to see the decision be made and the body move in a way that is just an absolutely elite speed and still under control. That's what's crazy. Like he, you know, LeVar Arrington, who also wore number 11, had this reputation of he he makes the unbelievable play, but he's often out of control, even through the NFL, his NFL career. Abdul Carter 
seems like he is under control and poised and confident and then just is shot out of a cannon and, <laughs> you know, is laying these dudes out in the back 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. It is like, I, I'm giggling because it's, it's not laughable, but it is unbelievable how good he has the potential to be. And he's only a true freshman. Yeah. I think Carter on the game, four tackles, three solo tackles, two tackles for a loss and a sack registered a uh, quarterback hurry. I don't think he was involved in either of the fumble. Kobe Kings is forced by Dom DeLuca. And I think uh, he, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe he, no, he, he, Curtis he, okay. caused the, okay. Caused the fumble that, Oh, there um, we go. I, uh, right. yeah. Jair Brown got the other one. It might've been Curtis Jacobs who, who broke it up. I don't right. Know, unfortunately, I don't recall off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the thing that we said about Manny Diaz's defense and his defensive philosophy is that, yeah, you're going to get burned a few times. There are going to be some moments that don't look especially great. And when those moments happen, you're going to be a bit uncomfortable with it. But that will all be worth it because the sheer amount of havoc that you cause is going to be worth it. And Rutgers had that one 55-yard catch and run in the first half, and at the uh, start of the second half. And other than that, they had a 15-yard reception, they had a 12-yard reception, and their next longest play after that was nine yards. They had nothing in this football game. And, and the 55-yarder, and just to call it out real quick, was not even like Diaz's defense getting burned. It was... Yeah, Jay Brown just made the wrong decision on his coverage, and it opened up the slant for a long gain. It wasn't like like that was a player making a mistake. It wasn't that they decided they Rutgers called a play to be a Diaz beater. It just it it just happens. Like they're not going to be perfect on every single play. Yeah, it uh, sometimes you tip your hat and the other team makes a play. Exactly. Whatever. It 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 sucks, but it happens. But it happened one time. Gavin Williams said on the day, 10 for 29, 122 yards, a touchdown and an interception. The hell else do you want me to say? They ran the ball 35 times for 32 yards. Like you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, Craig, they had 10 points in the first quarter, and that was it. That was at it. that point, Penn State decided it was done allowing them to score points. I mean, even and after the 55-yard reception that they allowed. They, they got they nothing. Not they score. got nothing out of it. And we say that, and we mention the two parts of the Manny Diaz defense again. You're going to get burned sometimes, but it's going to be worth it because of the havoc plays. They got burned one time. They had 15 tackles for a loss, four sacks, two forced fumbles, and an interception. Two of those, those two fumbles were returned for touchdowns. The interception should have been. Right. Or the interception was, but got called back for something it didn't have to happen. Like, you say all of that stuff, and it sounds like you're playing a video game on easy. Exactly. Like, I... I do not necessarily mean this as disrespect to Rutgers. Obviously, there's a little bit of that whenever you're talking about a team like this. But Penn State's defense decided that Rutgers was not going to win this football game in any way, shape, or form. And they went out and they did that from top to bottom. Penn State's linebackers, Kobe King, Curtis Jacobs, Abu Carter, Jonathan Sutherland, I all thought had solid games. Penn State's guys in the secondary. Jair Brown had four tackles. K.J. Winston had three 
Marcus Wilson had three. Johnny Dixon had three. Keaton Ellis had two. A couple other guys had one. I say that because they didn't get the chance to make tackles because nothing was getting up to them. Exactly. That doesn't happen. Right. Like, that's not supposed to happen. But Penn State's defense was just dominant. Penn State won up front time and time again. Curtis Jacobs, Abdul Carter, Dom DeLuca, and Tyler Elston got sacks. I already read off the list of guys who got tackles for loss. Abdul Carter, Hakeem Beeman, uh, and Jamari, Jamari Budden all recorded quarterback hurries. There's just so much good stuff in what this defense was able to do against a Rutgers team that, again, doesn't have the horses to keep up with them. You can point to the Ohio State game or the Michigan game and say, yeah, this concerning, this concerning, this concerning, Craig. But when Penn State's defense is able to go up against a team that it can out-talent over the last month and a half or so, they have done more than just out-talent them. They have dominated them. Yeah, and, you know, you, you bring up a guy like Keaton Ellis, who, it you know, has kind of been this starter, not starter at the safety room. And he had a flying-in tackle for loss. I want to say it was in the third quarter um, against Rutgers. And, again, it was one of those moments where I was just with my kids, and I'm like, that was unbelievable. Just the way that the defense, mm-hmm. the defensive mindset and the play calls and the, the strategy that Manny Diaz has imparted is finally starting to take hold with these kids. And they're not, they're now to the point where they're not thinking, they are reacting, and the plays are just flowing. The negative plays mm-hmm. for the offense are just piling up. And I mean, add this game to the, the Maryland game last week, it is insane how many tackles for loss and negative plays they are creating and not getting burned. It's, like I said, it is... I, I, I honestly think that they're finally, like, it has now become a mindset instead of a, okay, mm. coach said this, I need to do this, this is where I need, like, it's just it's just flowing as a natural progression should as the, you know, the coach installs his game plans or whatever. They're, the whole group has now, like, almost gone to this next level of understanding what Manny Diaz wants to accomplish on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Penn state is 10th nationally in sacks with 33 Penn state is fifth nationally with tackles for loss with 88 Uh, Penn state is uh, let's see where, where are you fellas? 30th nationally in interceptions with 11. uh, Whereas the 17th nationally with fumbles, uh, fumbles recovered with 10 opponents on third down against them 15th nationally at 30.95 percent red zone scoring defense uh tied for seventh nationally at 70.27 percent and i will now go and read off the stats from every game that wasn't ohio state or michigan (laughs) purdue 31 points 426 yards and a turnover you know i'm willing to chalk that up to it was a tough road game, first game of the year, all that sort of thing. From there, the Ohio Bobcats, 10 points, 264 total yards, no turnovers, but they didn't do anything. Penn State wins that game by 36. 
Auburn. They did have 415 yards of total offense. They also turned the ball over four times, a game that shows like the exact idea behind Manny Diaz's defense. Central Michigan, again, they had 363 yards. They burned Penn State a few times, four turnovers. North, and this is where it starts to get funny. And again, I'm filtering out the games against Ohio State and Michigan. Northwestern, 241 total yards, three turnovers, and seven points. Minnesota, 340 yards, a turnover, 17 points. Indiana, 14 points, 196 yards, three turnovers. Maryland, zero points, 134 yards, one turnover. And Rutgers, 10 points, 167 yards, three turnovers. This is the defense that was promised with Fanny Diaz. And it has started to be a little bit better because than I think we would have expected. Because I think you probably would have expected with a couple of those games, Penn State was going to get gashed a few more times. They were going to, uh, you know, get gassed a few, gashed a few more times, a few more big plays, a few more points, whatever. Not great. Instead, Penn State is 14th nationally in points allowed per game. In uh, total defense, Penn State is 48th with uh yeah 48th in total defense so or passing defense apologies uh let me click on the thing i meant to click on which was that one penn state is 23rd in total defense so everything is clicking for penn state's defense it's clicking at the end of the year which is a little unfortunate maybe you hope they would have done it a little bit sooner but uh we'll talk in two seconds about the short and long-term futures. Before we do that, Craig, I want you to hand out some game balls. Who you're giving your offense game ball to? Who are you giving your defense game ball to? Offense, I got to go. I got to go Catron Allen, man. He yeah. was ridiculous, right? It, every time that every time it looks like the kid is going to be tackled, he has a move to break that tackle. He is elite at seeing the tiniest sliver of a hole and getting to open space. Um, and again, it was just on display against Rutgers. Joy to watch. I love this kid. Um, it's amazing that he's only a true freshman playing in his, that was his 11th game of the season. And then defensively, the list is long. But I mean, how many times have I mentioned Evan Burger today? And I just think even in the plays that he didn't necessarily get credited with a stat, is impacting the game in a way that we haven't seen since Micah Parsons, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So those are my two. The defense, the litany is long for them. It could be any number of guys. Um, so it's maybe called a cop-out, but I'm going to go with uh, 11. I think that's fair. I mean, I'll, I'll agree on Katron now and hard to give it to anybody else but him. Although I will say a lot of credit to Harrison Wallace, I want to point Stepped out, up. with, yeah, with Parker Washington out. Didn't have a huge game, three catches, 49 yards, no touchdowns. Not changing everything by any stretch of the imagination, but with no Parker Washington, being able to have a guy alongside Mitchell Tinsley and Penn State's tight end room, it's not bad. Uh, And then on defense, I will give it to a share of Kobe King and Jair Brown because I feel like I have to when you score touchdowns. So I will give it to the two of them. So let's wrap up this podcast, Craig, by talking about the future. The short-term future of the rest of this season and then kind of the longer-term future because we're sitting here on Sunday night at 10 p.m. I need to go to bed. I I I have to wake up at 6 in the morning and get to an airport tomorrow. Every moment that I spend between when we end this podcast 
and I get to the airport tomorrow and I got to start doing airport things is going to focus on two things. One, the United States plays Wales tomorrow. You know it. Two, two, and far more importantly uh, for this podcast, it feels like Penn State football is in the best short and long-term place that it has been, God, since maybe 2017. I would, like, maybe you can go all the way back and say 2017. It feels to me like we are getting to the precipice of what we want Penn State to be as its floor every year, which is 10 years, uh, 10 wins, competing for New Year's Six Bowls, competing for a Big Ten East Championship. And if that is the floor, and you know they can achieve that floor next week against a Michigan State team that isn't very good, but it's given them some trouble in the past, it, it legitimately feels like something special is on the verge of happening in 2023, in 2024, you know, and hopefully beyond that. I think that the fact that they have this amazing mix of upper-class leadership, but also you look at all the wow plays across the board, and they're being made by basically true freshmen. Um, not 100% of the time, but we talked about on defense. Abdul Carter, Zane Durant had his first sack last week, and he's getting more playing time. Chop Robinson has more years of eligibility. He's a young guy. Um, in the secondary, Kalen King is an elite corner, and he's going to be back. Um, you have other guys like Johnny Dixon has played extremely well. He's going to be back. In the safety room, you have K.J. Winston has gotten a ton of run as a true freshman. Cam Miller has gotten a ton of run as a true freshman. And you have Jalen Reed in the back there. On the offensive side, you finally have an offensive line with depth that you, you know, in years prior when if you had three starters out for even for Saquon Barkley, that was stuff rate of ranked like 105th in the nation. Um, just plays constantly being stopped behind the line of scrimmage. And it's not happening with Drew Shelton and J.B. Nelson and Bryce Eppner. Um, and I'm not even saying that those guys are elite talents, and but Shelton is a true freshman playing left tackle in the Big Ten. And our and Penn State's running backs are going hog wild against a relatively good defense. In the short term, Michigan State poses some ghost problems for PSU. I don't see them like it would be, in my opinion, a shocking upset upset for the Spartans to come into Beaver Stadium on Senior Day and walk out with a victory. And I'm talking like some. D'Antonio Magic coming back to help Michigan State win that game. And then in the long term, these guys have been set up with crucial experience. Drew Aller has played probably, you know, as much or more than any true freshman quarterback in the country. And you have Drew Shelton has done the same. And you have all these true freshmen all over the place that have played a ton of snaps with valuable experience and have done really freaking well. Not just like, oh, they filled it. Oh, that was a freshman mistake, whatever. They got run at the end of the Ohio game. Like in the heat of the big, 
not the big games, but in the heat of playing with the ones against the ones, they've all had good experience and have made a difference and are making plays and are learning and are, you know, contributing to some of these jaw jaw dropping moments that were like, this is going to be really cool next year. And so in my opinion, like we're in as good of a place heading into the next season as we have been, like you said, 2017 would be the next, the, the only comparable would be like, holy cow, Saquon is really good. Mike Kosicki, great year. Trace McSorley, first year starting, pretty darn good, you know? And if they can figure some things out, this could has the potential to be an elite team um, that could go as far as, you know, they can go. Yeah, I mean, in the short term, whoop up on Michigan State. Uh, our pal Bill Conley put out his uh, his SP Plus picks for this upcoming week. And SP Plus has Penn State winning that game 41-17. to uh, The fine folks out in the desert have Penn State as an 18-point favorite. SP Plus has Penn State winning by 24. First order of business, just whoop up on them. Yep. Take care of business against the Michigan State team that, again, has been a thorn in your side in recent years. Take care of business there. Go into a bowl game against a team that you're probably going to be favored against. You look at SP Plus right now. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Tennessee are the only teams ahead of Penn State. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, I think, are all making the playoff unless unless something crazy happens or uh, you know Ohio State whoops up on Michigan or vice versa. That fourth playoff team probably going to be TCU is below Penn State. The teams above Penn State, then, one is an Alabama team that just the vibes have been off all year. They'd be favored against Penn State. Next up is a Tennessee team that, unfortunately, is no longer going to have Hendon Hooker. Brutal um, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the country towards ACL so over the weekend. Such a shame. shame. Wonderful football player, but Penn State would be favored against Tennessee. Yep. And then you go through the rest of college football and who Penn State could potentially play. Oregon, Clemson, Kansas State, Utah, LSU, USC, or Ole Miss, all teams below Penn State and SP+. UCLA is in 18th. Washington is in 21st. Florida State in 24th. Penn State is going to be in a position to win against Michigan State, win its bowl game, win 11 games for, what, the third or fourth time under James Franklin, something like that. It would be the fourth time. Since 2016, yeah, fourth time under James Franklin, 2016, 17, 19, and potentially 2022. Yeah, and add a third, potentially a third New Year's Six trophy and a fourth top 10 finish to James Franklin's kind of resume here in Happy Valley. Yes, there were those lean years in 2020 and 2021 where things didn't go especially well, but the important thing with this year is to make those years look like an outlier. And right now, Penn State is on the precipice of making those years look like major, major outliers. That's a great point. And then you look at 2023 and beyond. And I'm going to try to temper expectations as much as I can on Drew Aller from the jump. Because the entire thing with quarterbacks is the speed of the game is what you have to figure out. And for how much better he keeps getting and how much more comfortable he looks and all that sort of thing. I think if anyone's expecting him to step in right away and be the Messiah, whether that was this year, whether that is next year, whatever, it's not going to go great for him. Having said that, if he does say that, do that, 
Penn State's bringing most of, a lot of this defense back. It's bringing most of this offense back. And holy hell, suddenly we're talking about a team, you know, Matt likes to use the phrase window year. I don't know if I'll go that far, uh, but we're talking about a team that could start to stack those double digit win seasons, which again is the thing that you want to do if you're Penn State. So I'm fired up. I'm excited. I think that Penn State's in for a really good end to this season and increasingly a really good 2023. And a lot of that is because what they've done the last couple of weeks uh, with their blowout wins over, you want to go all the way back to Minnesota. You can go all the way back to Minnesota, but Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers. Craig, I'll give you the final word before I wrap this one up. No, I agree. Um, like, I, I really liked what Dan Orlovsky said about Drew Aller in the Indiana game and that, mm-hmm. it, you know, they have done a very good job of not rushing him into a situation where he could fail. I, I Can I actually interrupt you for yeah, half a second? Because I just... I just recalled something. Uh, 24-7 put out its list of the top 100 recruits in the nation last year by position yes. and the number of snaps they have gotten. Right. Only Connor Weigman at Texas A&M has gotten more snaps for a top 100 quarterback in college football this year than Drew Allers. So for how it seems like Penn State is bringing him along extra conservatively, but at the same time, they are giving him more opportunities than all but one other quarterback, a top 100 quarterback is getting, and things are going really bad for that top 100 quarterback. Can you so I just wanted to get that. Of Texas A&M's record? What Jimbo did? No, uh, no I, I can't because I can't scroll down that far. For, for those that don't know, it's bad. Texas A&M is terrible. And Drew Aller has, this is again, going off of what Dan Orlovsky said and whatever you attribute to him as being a good guy or a bad guy. I don't really care. He was a successful quarterback and I like what he had to say about Allers. They're not rushing him, but his arm talent is undeniable. And if he can get to the point where the game clicks mentally, he has the potential to be the QB that Penn State has not had to take them to the next level. Trace McSorley was a phenomenal player at Penn State, but he was a working man, uh, he was undersized, you know, not the strongest arm, obviously a great runner, someone that we, you know, hearts on the sleeve, we would have, you know, run through walls for Trace McSorley. Um, and Sean Clifford has been here for a long time and he has done an admirable job of, you know, directing this offense for as long as he's been in charge through a multitude of offensive coordinators, difficult situations, COVID years, injuries getting smoked in the ribs at Iowa, unfortunately. Um, But Penn State has not had the potential elite talent at quarterback in Drew Aller in any time that I can recall. Um, I mean, guys like uh, Anthony Morelli and Christian Hackenberg kind of had the accolades coming in. It never really came to fruition. Aller seems to have the accolades. And the way that they have brought him along, to me, has been the perfect way to do it. And like as you said, I'm just if this kid can take the next step over the next 18 months, um, Penn State is in, in you know, a really, really, really solid position to stack like 30 plus wins in three seasons uh, consecutively. Yeah, and you know, uh, my dog's uh, not here, so I can knock on wood and not be afraid of him. Uh, 
not worried about him getting all all concerned. But yeah, I mean, it's considering how I felt after the Rutgers on the Michigan game. Man, this has been quite the turnaround for this Penn State yeah. team, and we will uh, hopefully uh, have some more conversation about a good Penn State football team uh, this week, talking about uh, the game against Michigan State. Don't think Thanksgiving is going to get in the way of that one. We are definitely going to have a podcast about Penn State basketball. I think that. Yeah. And uh, Vincent are going to be around a little bit later this week to give you that. But that's it uh, for a later day. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you go and subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast. Use Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. If you use Spotify, five-star, whatever. You you subscribe to podcasts. You know how this things work. Uh, Make sure if you are on YouTube, you're subscribing to us. Hop into that comment section. Have good conversation with other football fans. Preferably good, say nice things about us and Penn State football. Uh, but if not, eh, all right, that's your prerogative. Uh, make sure you are following us on our Twitter account at RLR blog. And again, want to big, give a big shout out to our friends over at Home Field Apparel. Again, the Black Friday sale is going on until the 27th. It's the biggest sale of the year. And if you want to purchase something, doesn't matter if this is your first purchase from them or not, 20% off of the entire store, the promo code Black Friday, one word, all uppercase. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For Craig Fritz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.